since Corey's not here, we have a wonderful special guest that's going to be coming up. I really love this man a lot. He is the next-gen pastor, so he pastors over 710 um, youth and children's. He's been around here for a very long time. Um, this man just loves the Lord, and he's just the best burger around. And, um, we're not going to have a typical uh, sermon today, but he's just going to have a casual talk with us about dating. So please welcome up Brian Berger. How are we doing? Good. You know, normally when you're having a conversation or a message, the first thing you want to do is like say something that's going to grab people's attention. And with dating, I was like, do I need to say anything? Or are we like all pretty much bought in and interested in dating? Ooh, I should have come up with something, apparently. <laughs> all right. Um, so my name's Brian, Next Gen Pastor, like Jade said. Um, I just got back in town. Um, yes, I would like that whiteboard, Jade. We're going to do some, some drawings. Um, so I had an anniversary trip with my wife. We went up to a cabin. There was no Wi-Fi, no cell phone. There was no TV. There was electricity and water, thank the Lord. And we were like driving up there going, what? Like, are we even going to like each other? Like, what is it? What is it like without connectivity? And so we had a great time. 22 years later, we still love each other, and we had a great time with no internet, phones, or anything. It was amazing. So I thought she was going to be here. She's usually late, so maybe she'll come in at the end, and I'll point her out. You guys get to see her. Uh, I met her at, well, yeah, it was a little bit before I came to this church in 1998, um, so funny story, um, I was in junior college, my brother was at ASU, and so I thought I was a big shot because I'd go to my brother's apartment and hang out with the ASU people instead of the junior college people. So, um, so I show up at my brother's house and there is this girl that is super lovely. <laughs> and I'm like, who is that girl? So pretty soon I realized it's my brother's roommate's girlfriend. So I was like, dang. And I, I can remember this moment where everyone's going to go watch this movie in this room. And I'm like, she's going? I'm going. I'm following her. Like, wherever she's going, I, you know, so I like walk into the room. And then she like plops down next to her boyfriend. And they're like all cuddled up on the couch. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, I'm not going to put myself through this torture and watch the girl of my dreams snuggle another guy. So uh, basically, I moved in with this guy, and he became my roommate, and it gets kind of scandalous. They break up. He actually moves away, and I'm like, I don't know, what's the, like, I don't know, what would you say, like, the, the time frame when I can start, you know, asking around on a date? What would you guys say? 30 minutes, like, he moved to Kansas, and it was like, boop, 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 boop. Um, we, didn't, we didn't have cell phones, we couldn't text back then. So I called him in uh, Kansas, and I said, hey, are you guys like done, done? And he said, yeah, I actually have a girlfriend now, we're pretty serious, and I said, okay, this is weird, but I would, I would like to ask out Julie. 
And he's like, oh my gosh, yes, for sure. You guys would be great. She's a great girl. So it was six months after they broke up. That's decent, right? It's respectful. And a phone call? Come on. (laughs) So I took my very good friend's girlfriend and married her. And he was actually in our wedding. Isn't that funny? He is like standing in our wedding. He's in all the pictures. And so that's, uh, that's how it all happened for me. I know that's 24 years ago. Holy cow. Um, we've just like, Julie and I came to the realization that this is the anniversary where we've been together as much as we've not been together. So we got married at 22 and now we're 44. So we're kind of like, man, half, more than half our life we've been together. And it's, uh, it's been so easy. I mean, it's been so easy. Dan Moon's the only one laughing because he knows. Uh, I want to start our conversation. Um, I'm sitting at a table because I don't want you to think that this is a sermon. This is not a sermon tonight, okay? Uh, Dating is not in the Bible. So you want me to come up with a, a sermon and a text for dating? There's a lot of wisdom in the Bible that can be applied. But this is, you know, I told Corey, I'm like, if you just want an older man who has walked with Jesus longer, um, who's walked through relationships longer, who's served a younger generation and has seen like how biblical principles can apply as, as well as, you guys ever watch like on reels or something, they have like this ice, this part of the sidewalk that's icy and somebody knows it and they just set up a camera and it's like you watch one person fall and there's like this wheezy laugh, you know? And then they just wait for the next person and then they fall and then you just like one after the other, everyone falls. I feel a little bit like an older man who has watched for 22 years people fall and, and kind of go, hey, I've learned a few things from watching some mess ups and I feel like I have some things to share with you tonight. Now, some of these things I shared with youth, and it was, it was interesting because uh, I was meeting with, <coughs> sorry, I'm getting over a cough. I was meeting with a guy, and we were talking about he just broke up with his girlfriend, and I was kind of like rewinding what happened, and we're kind of replaying everything, and, and it, in my opinion, he led it really poorly, and he was like one of the slip and fall guys. And I'm like, oh, this is like textbook. Like everything you did, I feel like was wrong. And I was like, listen, do you remember the dating talk that I did in youth? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, I'm going to pull up my notes. And I was like, did you do this? No. This was point number two. Did you do that? No. Did you do this? No. And literally, the five or six points that I spent time telling the youth, like, this is really what I think is going to help us date better was pretty much all of it was ignored. And here we are, six months later, hurt feelings, hurt church group, all sorts of hurt. So I wanna say that to say, although this is not gospel, I would say heed this as wisdom. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then I'm gonna gonna give us some things to think about. Lord, we pray on this topic. Um, This topic is important, and it matters to you. Lord, how we participate in any relationship matters to you. 
Holy Spirit, you are the power. You are our strength to live differently. Jesus, you have saved us from uh, the domain of darkness. You've transferred us, you've delivered us into the kingdom of God. And Lord, you have given us a better way to live. So I pray uh, in, in our time together that, Lord, our relationships, our views towards dating, our participation in romance and, uh, and all of it, uh, God would be formed by you, would please you, and would also reflect you uh, in your glory to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> There's a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to what? to glorify God. Okay, whether you date, whether you drink, or whether you eat, do everything to glorify God. I just want to spend like a second to explain what that means to glorify God. Because we have the privilege, and, and I'm speaking specifically to Christians. I know there might be like a mixed group. There might be people that are just trying to figure out Christianity, where they stand with God, and we're so glad that you're here. You certainly belong here. You're welcome here. I want to talk just for Christians. Your sins have been forgiven. Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection has cleansed you, has forgiven you for the purpose that you get brought to God. You get, the word is reconciliation, right? And now the posture of a Christian is like, I've been reconnected to, to my God, my creator, the one who made me, the one who has all wisdom, the one who knows who I'm supposed to be, the one who can heal every wound, like he's reconciled me to the medicine for my soul, <coughs> the strength for living. And as I seek God, I learn from him, and I turn into the world whatever place God has you, whether that be ASU or the workforce or where at the coffee shop, wherever God has put you, and you radiate God. I spend time with him. I know what he's like. I'm infused by the Holy Spirit that he's living inside of me. I'm fostering that flame. And so as I walk into every area of my life, I'm radiating, I'm reflecting God to people. And to bring glory to God is for someone to look at the life of the church and to go, dang. Like, I don't know who did this but he's legit. You know, you like ever listen to a song and you're like, dang, those lyrics and that, that chorus, like how that all comes together, that woman's voice, that thing makes me look at the artist and go, dang, like she's legit. To glorify God is to live in a way where the world goes, that's different. What they do is beautiful. So when we talk about dating, we're talking about a better way than the world. Um, Corey asked, what are the major things that you see in young adults that they do broken in, in dating? And I would just say, I'm gonna speak very generally right now. I think we take our cues from the world. Like when I talk to the youth or even my own kids about stuff like 
hey, here's, here's 10 things I want you to think about. And every once in a while, they'll be like, Dad, no, you don't get it. Nobody does that. And I'll be like, I know. No, like, that's not how we do it. I know that's the point. Everybody is the world. Holiness, I want to start with holiness, it means that you're set apart from the world. You're something different than the world. Do you understand that? Like, and that's a privilege. And sometimes we've been like delivered from the world and we're seated up high with Jesus and we have the counsel of perfect wisdom and we go to the world and go like, how am I supposed to date? What are we supposed to do? Like, allow the world to influence me on these every, everyday things of life as opposed to godly counsel and wisdom and the scriptures and the church. So I'd say like, our way is better. Our way of participating in the marketplace is better. Our way of dealing with money is better. Our way of dating should be better if we submit ourselves to the counsel of our creator. Do you guys understand that? It's a privilege. Holiness is a privilege. <coughs> the second thing I wanna say about holiness is and I don't know if we have that. Do you have, Harley, it's um, 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Do you have that one? Okay. The hope of the Christian life, listen to this. The hope of the Christian life is, is called the day of the Lord. All throughout, if you read through the New Testament, everyone is longing for the return of Christ. When he sets everything his kingdom come and his will be done is on earth as it is in heaven. It's a culminating moment of the biblical story. And we live as Christians longing for that. Peace in Ukraine. <coughs> End of poverty. No more abuse. No more divorce. No more fighting, bullying, addiction, broken relationships. It all culminates. Thank you, sir. It all culminates on the day of the Lord. That is our hope, okay? We're waiting for that day. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, it means like the way that our world works today will be dissolved. What kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, next slide, as you look forward to the day of God, okay? Now, this is why this is important to dating. Some of you have put your hope looking forward to the day where you find that person. Like all the things inside of me will be healed. All my loneliness will be satisfied. When? Not when Jesus returns. When she says yes and starts dating me. When I get married and I can have that family and that house and I can have that career and I can have that that future, do you guys understand? That like holiness comes when we actually look forward to Christ returning. Our hope is fully on him and now we go, all right Lord, until that day comes, help me to live a set apart life, a holy life as I wait. And then here's, here's how it goes. My money, how do I deal with money? Lord, and it's like I lay it on the foundation, like Lord, how do you want me to do money? Lord, I'm in an argument. I've, I've had a fight at work. How do you want me to deal with that? 
sex and sexuality and dating and relationships, Lord, how do you want me to do that until he returns? That's what we're doing. Okay. Um, can you put up the slide as kind of like where, where we're going tonight? All right, so with dating, this is kind of the trajectory of the night. Dating, what is it? Who should we date? How do I begin? Do this, don't do that. What about sex? Common struggles, a better way, and what do we do with failure? Now, if I took four minutes on each of that, we're gonna be here all night. So I'm gonna try and fly through this stuff as good as I can. Brevity or being brief is not my spiritual gift. So I'm gonna try my best. All right, you're like, Berger, why do we need to know what dating is? We could teach you what dating is. Correct. All right, uh, so here's where we're gonna start. The Bible cares a lot about this right here, these relationships. This is called the church, okay? It's the body of Christ, it's the, the bride of Christ, it's the assembly, the gathering of God's people. And inside the church, what is your relationship with one another? He's the father, you're what? Brothers and sisters, okay? So I'm gonna go, trying to be, not BS, okay? The church is not BS. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, the, the Bible, God cares a lot about this relationship. This church is supposed to shine the glory of God and draw the nations to God through how we participate as brothers and sisters. There's a lot in the Bible about how we participate as brothers and sisters. This is primary. The Bible also says this is, this is the most intimate, um, not Wednesday, being wed, being <coughs> united in marriage. There is a lot about what a godly marriage looks like, okay? So the scripture speaks to this, the scripture speaks to that, and actually our marriage is supposed to shine and give an image of the gospel to the world. Like this is Paul's argument. He's like, he's talking about uh, man and woman and becoming one, one flesh united. And then he says, I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church becoming one. He says that this marriage is a picture to the world of how the gospel works. Okay, so there's the two things that the Bible talks a lot about. So what is dating? Dating is this like empty space in between that the Bible, the Bible is really silent on. And all throughout different cultures, there's different things. How you fill in this gap is like in some cultures, your parents pick the suitor, right? And it's like, I know my daughter and I know what will be good for her, so I'm gonna pick the guy, and then me and the dad are gonna do a deal, and then she doesn't have a say, and you guys are like, that's terrifying, right? But I made a deal when my daughter was five. Now I was like, honey, daddy does marriage counseling, okay? I help people fix broken marriages. So I know when you bring that boy home, I'm gonna know if he's gonna be a good husband or not. And she's like five years old, like, okay. So I'm going to pick your husband, okay? Because I know what a good man is. 
She's like, okay. I'm like, can you sign this piece of paper? She's like, X, you know? So nobody has been good enough yet. She's never had a boyfriend, so I'm just, no. She's going to be horrified that I just said that in front of this group. Um, so, so in my house, I get to choose. I'm just kidding. That's not real. <laughs> in our culture, we do this thing called dating. It's just kind of a cultural phenomenon of how do you meet somebody, start to go out to eat together, start to spend time together, start to act like a married couple a little bit. And, it, and, uh, and yeah, and then eventually, if you want to commit your life to them for the rest of your life, you say like, okay, we're going to get married and we enter into that. You know, different cultures, I don't know. What are some of the other cultures? I have a friend who's like, um, a part of the like uh, gypsy community, and he was describing like how they do their thing, and I'm like, that's that's wild. I've never heard of anything like that. It's like um, the Bible does not prescribe how this is supposed to go. So uh, I would say this. Let's start with this. When you enter into a dating relationship, you are not entering into all the benefits of marriage. I feel like a cultural trend that's been developing, I think since I was 20, is kind of like, if I'm attracted to somebody, the moment that we both agree that we're both attracted to each other, we get to enjoy this relationship, but not committed for the rest of our lives. You know, things like sex. God said, it belongs in this circle. But since we're attracted to each other, we get to do that, but outside of the bounds that God has designed it for, and un not committed to each other forever. Um, living together is very common, right? Like probably a decent percentage of people live together before they're married. Again, that's this circle stuff, living in a household together, uh, ordered by God, is designed for this, and as soon as we've said, well, we're attracted to each other, so we can enjoy that now, and it kind of goes like, oh, we're doing this thing, like the marriage stuff, and it's fun, and it's enjoyable. Do you know why it's fun and enjoyable? Because God designed it, so it's fun and enjoyable, but you're doing it out of bounds, and then you kind of go, um, you know what, it's not working out, and, it, and you go back to brothers and sisters, not many people do this well, that like after a relationship, after we've done all of this stuff, we can go back to just being brothers and sisters. It doesn't work that way. Because in God's design, this stuff, this marriage stuff, is meant, it's designed to bond you together for life. That's what it's for. You know, if you want to get into the brain science of, I'm sorry, this word, maybe should never be said in church, but orgasm or climax, there's brain science that makes us bond together. There's like another level of investment and unity that comes in that moment, and that's designed by God. Pleasure in the brain, making intimate relationships stick together, and when we're using that, it's hard to go back so I would say first, we want a dating relationship where we can jump into it 
And we can do it in such a way that the world goes, that's different, that's awesome, it glorifies God. It also is preparing us for a beautiful wedding, a beautiful union. Because we believe that the, the design for romance and sex and partnership and all of this should be defined by the creator who made it. Right? So when we, when we submit to his way and we go like, yes, Lord, this is, <coughs> I'm developing this relationship to the point where it can be amazing here or we realize, hey, I don't think we're the partners that we're supposed to, I don't think you're the partner for me. I don't think this works in a partnership and we can move back to brother and sister and you could be in your friend's wedding and stand in your friend's wedding because you chose not to participate in the culture's way of dating. And I can still be coaching Little League and raising my kids with my wife's boyfriend that she thought she was gonna marry. It's wild. And people go like, how, how are you around him? How does that work? Oh, because they were Christians. Like they pursued holiness in their relationship. It was actually a really sweet thing. And so we can enjoy a marriage without jealousy and all of this stuff that comes with it. Now look, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you what I think the Bible is telling us, some guidelines for that little arrow. <coughs> and I completely expect that some of you are gonna feel massive amounts of conviction and massive amounts of shame, and massive amounts of like, is there hope for me? Like, I've messed up, okay? And I wanna say this in anything. Conviction is good, that's the Holy Spirit going like, turn, okay? Shame, your shame is covered. Like, uh, we have this beautiful thing called repentance where I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I wanna show you a holy way, and if you go, dang, I fell short of that, Perfect, there's this thing called the gospel. Jesus came to save people who have fallen short of the glory of God, amen? So like, if you're feeling like, dang, I lost my chance. No, we are a God who takes sinners, who have messed up, who haven't done it the right way, and he reshapes them into something beautiful, like from ashes, beauty, and he goes, I'm putting my people on display, and you go like, dang, God's amazing. He took that, and he made that. He's amazing. You're not a lost cause no matter what your situation is, no matter what your experience is. God wants you. Okay, what is it? It's this in-between. I would say this. It's a test. Okay, sounds weird. It's testing and developing, okay? I'm developing a partnership with Julie in my dating that will lead to a good, holy marriage. We're in development towards that. I don't get to enjoy this right away, okay? I'm developing towards it, and the second thing is I'm testing. The reality is she dated her boyfriend for over a year, and they were developing towards marriage, and at one point they realized they kind of failed the test. They didn't do necessarily anything wrong. It was just like, I don't think this relationship is gonna make a beautiful marriage. I actually don't think we're complementary gifts weaknesses, strengths, we're having a hard time getting along, and they went back to brothers and sisters, okay? So it's a test to see, 
Are we compatible? Julie and I make a good partnership. And number two, it's developing. It's a time of developing towards marriage, okay? Okay, second thing I wanted to say is like, who should I be looking for? Um, and I have, you know, five points here. Okay, I'm gonna try and fly through these. You want, I'm speaking to Christians. <coughs> you want someone who makes you a better Christian. When I see people, you know, on the, on the reel that slip on the ice over and over and over and over again, it's like this person does not make me a better Christian. In fact, probably makes me a worse Christian, but dang, they're good looking, right? And there, it's like, when I'm around them, it's like, it's hot. So, and they're drawn away by those desires rather than to say like, man, there's a lot in the Proverbs that says, look out for the hot woman standing on the corner that is seducing you into her bedroom that is saying like, hey, I've got roses on the bed. I smell like roses. My lips taste like wine. Like this is the Bible saying like, you gotta watch out for seduction because many men go into her room and don't come back. And I would say that, that, that parable or that picture works both ways. There are smooth men that are looking for one thing and will tell you exactly they have a formula. I've talked to them. They have a formula of how to seduce women to get them in the bed. You're not looking for hot, erotic romance. You are looking for someone who makes you a better Christian. And the development of what God has designed to bring you to a point of what should be hot, can I just, it should be hot. Somebody was like, okay, can I get some, okay. If you read Song of Solomon, okay, you're gonna go like, this is in the Bible, this is like, this is above rated R. I can't believe this is in here. In fact, don't read it, okay? <laughs> Wait till like a couple months before you're engaged, you know, your wedding, and then like you and, and your fiance can read Song of Solomon together. <coughs> God's designed it to be beautiful and erotic and like romantic and all of that. But that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for it. Your marriage will be far more than sex. Your marriage will be raising children together. It's gonna be like potty training a puppy together. It's gonna be carpooling to theater and music lessons together. It's gonna be coordinating schedules together. It's gonna to be hosting a small group at your house and getting the bathroom cleaned before the people walk through the door and, and getting the cookies in the oven together. Like, your life together is going to be so much fuller and richer than something that happens periodically in the bed, in the bedroom. There's so much more to it. And I'm telling you, somebody who is hot is not going to help you necessarily carpool and clean up kids puke and change diapers and discipline your kids 
and pray and lead small group and go out and serve the poor. Like hotness has nothing to do with that rich, full life that God is calling you to. Now it's a bonus if you find someone as hot as Julie Berger. In reality, I was attracted to Julie, not just by physical appearance, because there was a lot of girls I was attracted to, but she loved Jesus. And I was a mediocre Christian at best. And I just came out of an impure relationship. And I was like, I want it different this time. Like, I did that, I want this. And she made me a better Christian. And she continues to make me a better Christian. You know, like, she's correcting me all the time. (laughs) Who should you look for? Who's good at this? That's who you should look for. Not just to you, who's a good brother to you, but like when they participate in the church, who's a good brother or sister? That's who you should look for. Who's gonna make a good partner? All those things, all the mundane moments of a marriage, that 22 years of marriage, okay? What are the things that make a great marriage work? <coughs> look for those things in a partner. And I would say this. You go like, well, there's nobody here that qualifies. If you would have known me at 20 years old, you'd have been like, he can't lead me spiritually. You know, I wouldn't have hit, you know, I wouldn't have been accepted for my daughter. Like, I wouldn't have picked me. But there's, you want someone that has good habits, okay? Because they might not have a life that, like, shines holiness right now. But you are not going to be, when you're 44, who you are today. You're not going to be the same person. You are going to be a product of your habits. And if you're lazy today, the 44-year-old you is going to (laughs) suck. If you're a hard worker today, the 44 you is going to be someone that someone's going to want to be married to. Okay? If you surround yourself and are shaped by Christian community today, even though you're rough and you don't have it all together and you fail all the time, but the core people around you are Christians that are helping you walk this out, the 44 you is gonna be a transformed person that women are gonna wanna be married to. You're not gonna stay the same person. If you surround yourself with people that are constantly pulling you away from Jesus and are distracted from Jesus, the 44-year-old you is not going to be a godly husband or a godly parent to your kids. (coughs) So you don't have to find the perfect person, but someone that has godly habits showing up here, sitting under the preached word of God, serving on a Sunday morning, like helping in kids' ministry, teach children. You don't think that's gonna help your husband or wife become a discipler of your children? as they practice it every Sunday on other people's kids. <laughs> you go like, by the time they have kids, they're like, I know how to do this. And I would say this, you want to find somebody that is known. And this is like one of the number one things that I tell my daughter. is like when you just meet someone randomly in a classroom, right? 
and you go out on a date, you have no idea who that person is. Like, he can pretend to be whoever you, whoever he thinks you want to be, and he can put on a great show. But when someone is rooted in a community like this, they're known. Like, I can ask the, I can go to that person's church and know, see how they participate in this community. Do they have friends? What do the friends think about that person? They know the real one. They know the real person. That pastor knows the real person. You want someone who is known. Tinder, dating apps, like I don't know how all of that works. I'm an old man. I know, I'm just gonna throw them all into one thing, that you can find someone on there. But when you participate in a relationship with that person, try and find out who knows that person for real, because all they've shown you is who they want you to think they are. But when they belong to a community and a friend group and a church with a pastor, you can actually say, hey, um, what do you think of so-and-so? And they know that person. Make sure you find someone who's known. Okay, how should I begin? This is what I tell my son. Sweet, not romantic. Okay, start sweet. Be a sweet brother. Open the door for people. Like compliment people when they look good or you notice something about them. Take an interest in their life. Be tender, be caring, be interested in your sisters. Be sweet. Don't come into the community like, who am I gonna romance? She looks good. I tried this line, it didn't work before. I heard this one works, and I walk in romantic, not sweet, okay? How, <coughs> this is not the Bible. I, I'm just an old man who's watched people slip on ice and hit their head lots. Start here. Be sweet, not romantic. Be honest, not like, I'm gonna try and become, like, if this is who I am, and you're like, no girl's gonna like this, let me, like, put on my alter ego. <laughs> you know, and then walk across the comments. <laughs> like, oh, once I've had a few of these in me, I feel like a more likable character. I can be bold, I can, like, put myself out there. Be yourself. I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me for counsel and, like, what should I say? And go like, I don't know, well, how are you feeling? Well, I mean, I feel like she looks, she's really attractive and she seems sweet and like she seems really kind to everybody and so like I wanna talk to her but I don't, I don't want her to think that, um, you know, I'm trying to date her or, you know, and I'm, and I'm like, hey, how about you just say like, Hey, what's your name? <coughs> I've noticed you here. You seem really kind to people. Like, I really appreciate that about you. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to date you right now. I'm just trying to get to know you. Like, how many times people say, this is how I'm feeling, and I'm like, how about this? Be honest and say exactly what you just said. No. Typically, it's, 
No, dad, people don't do that. <laughs> okay, so come up with a fake, a fake story and tell them that. Is that what you want, is that what you want to say? Because you just told me the truth of how you feel. Let's just be honest. And like, but I mean, what if I stumble over my words? They're like, okay, that's kind of charming sometimes. Of like a guy that's really nervous. It's just like, hey, you seem really, I feel like good. Some, somebody's writing this down right now. You seem cute and kind. Some of you should write this down. So we can tell girls how we feel. And you're saying, tell the truth? Seems kind of crazy, but tell the truth. Clarity is kindness. We have a, a thing around the church. We say, clarity is kindness. What are your intentions? I'm so... Th <coughs> Someone was pursuing a girl in our ministry, and it was a guy. And he says, hey, would you ever want to go out on a date with me? And I just want to be really clear. I'm not asking you to be my girlfriend, but I definitely am interested in going on some dates to see if we might be like interested in becoming a boyfriend, girlfriend. And I was like, dude, who is this guy? Like, who disciple that guy? That guy's amazing. I'm interested. Would you, would you want to go on a date with me? I'm just telling you, I don't want to enter into a relationship right now, but I am interested in seeing if maybe we fit and we might want to be in a relationship. Would you be interested in that? I'm like, dude, this guy, like... I want to go to that church, whoever taught that guy. Like, he's honest and upfront, and he's, like, bold. And guess what? But dad, I'm just throwing my kids under the bus. But pastor, <laughs> what if she says, no, I'm not interested? Then you go, oh, okay, she doesn't want to get into this. We'll just keep being that. And apparently, at least right now, it looks like she's not going to be this. Your life is not going to fall apart if she says, uh, I'm not really interested, I'm sorry. And girls, if you're not interested, say, I'm not interested, I'm sorry. You don't have to have some like, but what should I tell them? It's like, you're not interested. He's a big boy, he can handle it. Yeah, he's probably heard it before. I, what? I heard it like 70 times <laughs> before Julie said yes. All right. Uh, how, be yourself, be honest, take initiative. Men, I really, now may I, maybe I'm old school. I really think, guys, you're too passive in this dating thing. Or, <coughs> or you're out of control, aggressive. <laughs> Is there, an, is there an in-between? Can we get an in-between? I'm just honest, assertive, and not passive. Um, but uh, I'm not judging you because Julie made the first moves on me, so I was not the one that initiated. Okay. Uh, do's and don'ts. Don't shift gears too soon. Okay? Here's, here's, this is dad illustration. This is, okay, you want... Brian having the talk with his young son. 
my, my kids are never going to be able to show their face again. <coughs> You'll never see my daughter here at 710 ever again. This is me and my son, okay? Dang, it's got to suck to be my son right now. <laughs> son, we, <laughs> dad learned to drive on a stick shift, okay? So you put it in first gear, and then once you get going, it, the engine starts whining, and it feels like it's going to explode. So you pop the clutch, and you put it into second gear, and it goes, and you're like, what is going to, pop the clutch, put it into third gear. Do I have to keep doing this? you guys know what I'm talking about? Now, Corey, legitimate, a story, okay, I needed to go pick up a piano, and I called Corey, he was my intern. I was like, Corey, dude, get the truck at the church, we got a free piano, I'm going to use it for a sermon illustration. He's like, you're getting a piano for a, I'm like, yes, I love illustrations, love props, somebody's giving me a free, he's like, great, calls me back 15 minutes, I can't drive stick. (laughs) So, when he comes back from the Dominican Republic... You got that on them, okay? So I said, Tyler, when you get a girlfriend, your body is designed to go from brother and sister to intimate sexual relationship. God's designed your body for that, right? So it works kind of like the stick shift. You're gonna start out and everything's cool and then it's gonna feel like I'm so, I want to do more. And then it's like, okay, hold hands. Oh my gosh, I'm holding hands. This is so cool. This is so exciting. Everything's good. Then your hunger goes up and you're like, I want to make out. Maybe we don't jump straight there. I want to start snuggling. Like we're going to get really cozy, right? And then it's like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I'm not just holding her hand. I'm like, my whole body's pressed up. I get, we're like, and we're watching a movie, and this feels so amazing. And then it's like, you need to shift gears. And it's like, my hunger is going like more. And so you shift gears, and it's like, now we're on the couch making out. And it's like, that's amazing. That's great. That's what I wanted. Uh, more shift gears and your body is designed to get into fifth gear, okay? If you date someone at 17 years old and you're in your mind thinking, I can't be married, I can't actually shift into fifth gear, sixth gear until I'm married, then like you might spend most of your relationship going like, like, (laughs) here's my point. Keep it in first gear. Keep it in first gear. And like, I have to tell people when they're getting married, people that have kind of like no physical contact, no kissing, no, none of that, and be like, hey, uh, your wedding is in a month you need to start shifting some gears. And they're like, excuse me? And I'm like, well, I mean, if you go from not kissing each other 
and fifth gear in one night, it, like, at least snuggle. And at least, like, put your lips on each other's lips and, like, start shifting gears. But most people need to be told, like, hey, you're 17 years old and you're on fifth gear waiting to go in sixth and your engine is about ready to explode and you're five years away from marriage. Like, you blew through all the gears and now you have to try and control yourself for six years, five years, four years. And now your relationship is going to be marked by failure and sin and like shame and like constant feeling guilty and we shouldn't have done that. Like, what are we doing? We're like, and like, that's not the way this is supposed to work. Like, just slow it down. I... <coughs> I was a virgin when I got married. I just, I uh, hung out with my high school buddies uh, for the state championship game. What's that, December? And, um, and like, we hadn't seen each other in, like, 20 years. And these are, like, my teammates. And I was, like, of course, I was, like, jock in the popular group that's out partying and doing this stuff. But I was the weird one because I didn't drink and I, di I wasn't having sex with my girlfriend. I wasn't doing any of that stuff. And I got teased a lot. And then I got respect. And then it was like, fast forward 20 years, it's like they're watching the football game and they're like laughing to each other and, and they're like, dude, Burger's been having sex for like 25 years. <laughs> And they're teasing me like, the person we knew, it was like, we thought you were so crazy because you waited four years. But like, the reality is, you're gonna enjoy marriage. You're gonna get there. So when you're in this, take it easy. Keep it in first gear. I'll wrap up. Got it. This means shut up. You're done. On the topic of sexual immorality, Rome was a very highly sexualized culture, if you don't know, first century Rome. Like, they were doing weirder stuff than our culture today. Okay, so you think like, that's the context that Jesus came into, okay? He's talking about, hey, when you become a Christian, you gotta give up those orgies. You know, it's not like Roman culture was a bunch of prudes. It was wild. And all the depictions of the main thing that it looked like to become a Christian, there's like three things your sexual ethic was one of the main things. In fact, there was a council, the early Christians were like, wait, can Greeks actually, can, can the Gentiles come into the church and be a part of it? Like Peter's saying, yeah, the Holy Spirit's coming to the Gentiles too. You don't have to be Jewish. And they're like, serious? Okay, let's get together. Should, should we make them be circumcised? And it was like big council. Like, are we gonna, do we make them obey the law of Moses? What do you guys think? 
do we make them, what do we make them do? And it's like, all right, here's the deal. Write them a letter and tell them no more sexual immorality. They have to take on the sexual ethic of God's sexual ethic. No more sexual immorality. They have to put that away if you want to be in the church. And they're strongly written like instructions to the churches like, hey, the person that is in ongoing sexual immorality in the church, you need to actually warn them, call them to repent, and if they're not, you need to have nothing to do with them. And he says like, leaven is like yeast that gets into the dough and it spreads throughout everything. And there is a sexual purity to the people of God that God has designed that if you just start letting everybody live in a Gentile kind of way with their sexual ethic, we will lose the people of God. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That's giving yourself over to your desires. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Nor do they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality. While Israel was, we're gonna stay in New Testament. I mean, on and on and on is like one of the main things that set the church as apart from the rest of the world was like, the way they treat sex is totally different than the world. It matters to God. It, it absolutely matters to God. Not because he's like, I want you to obey the rules. He's like, I made something pretty great. It's really fun. You guys are gonna like it. It's good. Here's how you do it in marriage. Now, <coughs> singleness, disappointment, anxiety about will I ever be in a relationship? Will I ever find that person? I feel like contentment and singleness is a completely different sermon and they asked me to talk on dating, okay? I would say this. Paul says, I've learned to be content in every circumstance. Whether I'm rich or I have no food to eat, I'm so poor. I can do everything through the strength of Christ. Whatever those like desires are, whatever those unmet uh, anxious thoughts of like, will I find the right person? Will I get that family? How is this ever gonna happen? I'll tell you this. God will give you the strength to live a content life in every circumstance. When we feed our mind and bathe our minds in putting our hope in this rather than the hope of Jesus' return, we are gonna live discontent with anything you are gonna have the best spouse and be completely miserable and discontent because your contentment is this relationship. Your hope is not this. Your hope is Jesus' return and until then I have access to him every morning, every day, every evening. He'll give me the strength to live a holy life. He'll satisfy my anxiety. He will calm me down. He will give me peace. He will give me contentment. He will, he will give me contentment. Jesus is that good. Okay. 10 minutes ago, somebody went like this. I'm gonna pray. 
Let me pray for you guys. Lord, there are hurts in the room. There is dissatisfaction in the room. There's guilt in the room. There's shame in the room. There's, Lord, even just, uh, Lord, different desires, confusing desires in the room. We trust, Father, that you, as we submit ourselves to you, you will take us and you will shape us and mold us into the people that you want us to be. Holy, glorifying you in everything that we do. I pray for the relationships that will come, that are in the room, Lord, that they would glorify you. That, Lord, they would push you, they would push each other to be more faithful in Christ. Lord, that we can move from brother and sister into dating relationships and move back to brother and sister because we're sweet to one another, because we honor your design. God, help us, give us the strength, the purity, to be holy as you are holy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.